meaningless thought The shell appears strong But the inside is right It's time to be stirred The time is now The winds have changed Read the signs No time to hide The winds have changed Millennia ago from the little cave on the tiny island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. And good Monday afternoon. This is Mary Helen Fiorito. I am the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., and I am joined by my co-host, Loretta Freilich, a former criminal prosecutor for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, now retired. And we are happy to be sitting in for Father Anthony today, as we do on most Mondays here on listener-supported Winds of Change on AM 750 WNDZ. Loretta. Mary. Did you have a bet on the Did you have a bet on the Super Bowl? Uh, no, I did not watch oh. the Super Bowl. I boycotted it. Oh, why? Uh, several reasons, but I don't watch the Super Bowl to engage in LBGTQ, whatever the alphabet is. I don't engage in politics with it, mm. and uh, I found it offensive that we now have two national anthems as decreed by. The, Chicago, uh, the National Football League. I think Roger Goodell has lost his mind. And uh, Loretta, unpack, unpack that for us, as <laughs> as the kids say this these days. Unpack for me, please, because now I can't talk to you about my favorite ads. What, what, fact, oh, my you favorite can't talk to me about, but your you haven't seen any of them. Well, maybe you, maybe you did. On, you, now you can go look them up on YouTube I, or it, whatever. So does, they're already but, uh, playing. But probably. honey, yes. I, I feel like we're doing. Um, okay. what, was that, what was that old Saturday Night Live skit with? Oh God, um, there's so many. With, no, with Michael Mother. Michael when they used Myers. to be funny. Well, yeah, <laughs> Michael Myers when he would play his uh, coffee talk. Oh, cool. Uh, talk. Coffee talk. Okay. okay. Well, well, we're not Jewish. No, we're from New York. We're but anyway, not. we can we can do a Chicago version of coffee talk. Anyway, go ahead. Tell and me, you would tell have me, the... honey. Why 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 are you mad at Roger Goodell? <laughs> you would have the facts to fill in here because yeah. again, I didn't watch it. Um, well, first of all, it came out that they were going to play not only the American national anthem but the black national anthem and i personally yeah. find that no. offensive well, wait 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 cuz it's like a contradiction in terms if there is a national anthem right. that means it's national that right. means everyone yes we it don't does, have two it? countries this is like you know there's not the north and the south anymore that's all done we, and we decided did we weren't doing that anymore yeah that, right. that was bad right so so when he announced that i thought you know what in are you kidding me? And then I've just, and it just, to me, it just seems stupid because, you know, they've created the brouhaha with taking the knee for the national anthem. And so instead of letting that die down, we unite around our national anthem. Um, no, instead, which celebrates a battle that we won in order to be a free nation. So that freedom I hear is for all of us. But then we're going to also play 
a national anthem specifically for black people? Yeah. I mean, I would just That's, find that offensive. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not a person of color, but mm-hmm. um, if, I, if I were a person of color, I think I would be offended by that. That's that's really, there is one, you know, um, there is one nation, you yes. know, and we fought very hard. Under many, God. Many, many, yes, one nation under God. And many, many, many men died yes. to keep this nation as one nation. Yes. And so to now say that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be um, having two national anthems, I, I just think that is a that is a slap in the face to everyone who— yes. Who died to save this republic? And do we have a Confederate national anthem? I mean, this is because ins- it's the, insane. You know, the Confederate soldiers—they may think we need. You know, the, the soldiers from the South. You know, we're taking their statues down. Yeah, which I, I, I do. I I do not understand. That's another topic. Well, for and that's a more, day. that's a more nuanced conversation yes. than this one about a, a separate national anthem, which I I just um, I'm. I'm Adamantly opposed to. I, yes. I just think that is that is um, it is so. It, well, I mean, as it, I think it's intended to be, it's divisive, right? Yes. And um, and I did I did go to um, uh, my niece and nephew and brother had a party. Oh, fun! Uh, for did you have Super your Bowl. heavenly onion thing that you have it? No, no, no. That's a that's okay. a, a major meal. But oh, we have it? a bean dip. Oh, okay. That is. Uh, <laughs> this is we're gonna have at some point. We're gonna have the recipes. The Frayla cookbook. The, the, right. The, the winds of change recipes. Like they do like with those ladies that, yes. that go to Ravinia. Like yes. they have their own recipe book. We're going to yes. have our own recipe book with the, your heavenly onions. and your. All right. Tell us about the bean dip. Well, I, I, we have it every football game. So okay. we, we uh, you know, my. And who, like who, who is the repository of the Frayla family? Are you the. Unfortunately, your mother? Yeah, my mother. Your, your mom was. <laughs> so. And I bet a lot of it, she, knowing your mom as I did, yes. um, I, I would not be surprised to know that she has a lot of it. She had a lot of it rather committed to memory. You mean she took it to heaven? Where yeah. we're trying your to. Your mother? Yes. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> Mrs. Frelick was a force with which to be contended, listeners, yes. for those who did not. So For those who did not have the joy of knowing her, if it was if it's a football game, it's bean dip. It's she makes it. Okay, it's magical. It's so good. Okay, but, so, so I made sure to go up at half. Okay, but what's in it? Oh, beans and what? Um, like what? Like do you do like refried beans? Is it like refried ta- beans? I'm sure so it's everybody like a, makes it. It's like a taco dip, right? I'm okay. sure everybody right. makes. I'm thinking like their you know, own dip. Yes, along this line. I but it's not, got I made, a lot of I made cheese. No dip, but I had a really sick kid, so that's another story. Yes. So one of the things that. I, I thought was really <laughs> equally insulting was uh uh what you when oh forget uh they had some sort of LBGTQ transgender event which to me just See, doesn't I make sense. sense and we watched most I mean my husband and maybe I, the it girls, was the my day girls before. didn't but we watched most of the game itself mm-hmm. um once I figured out how to cast it on to my now we 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 just look just finally have come into the, like modern times. I mean, I've I've been using a VHS player, and I'm not joking until okay. recently. So now I have this TV where you can like cast things. I guess that's oh. the phrase. You cast things onto the TV. So I figured out how to do that. I was very proud of myself. Well, actually, you're going to have to even tell me what that is I, because I'm lucky I can get my computer yes. on. But anyway, go ahead. All right. So um, I found that kind of insulting because I don't understand. How many LBGTQ, and I'm not meaning to insult them, but this is not the Pride Parade. No. This is the Super Bowl. Right. And so how many of these individuals do they need to celebrate in the National Football League? Yeah. 
How many transgender players do they have right. in the National Zero. Football League? Zero. Yeah, exactly. So why? what's the point here? Yeah. It makes I mean, no it's, sense. It's not, you know, it's a football game. This is not, you know, it, and, and this is where I think people, they just start to tune out because everything has become so politicized. Like, can you just, there used to be, like, at, at a minimum, you could sit down with your kids for a ball game or a football game or whatever, the, the Olympic skating finals, and not be, in, you know, inundated with political messages or whatever, you know. Right. I mean, other than, you know, the, the Miracle on Ice, so the, the USA hockey men's 1980 team that beat the evil Russians, like that was, um, that was such a unifying event. But, you know, nobody had, was exposed to this, like— can we just play the game and let and let that be that? And so people don't have to like screen out the everything so that you know to make sure it's safe for their kids to watch because there's a lot of fans they don't want their kids exposed to this stuff right. and they're so inundated with it. You know, there was of of all places in the New York Times last week mm-hmm. there was a re- and listeners I've put it on my um, Facebook page. Uh, there was a really interesting. Uh, it was it was billed as an op-ed, but it was really written as a news story, and it was about um, minors who had transitioned, mm-hmm. who now regret the fact that they've trans they've transitioned. Oh, there's a shock! And advocating to say because you know, which we've known for years, right? Because the human brain does not fully develop until it's about twenty. It's about twenty-five for men and about twenty-three for women, I guess. That no one should be able to have either hormonal sex change care or surgical, God forbid, surgical, removing healthy breasts from women, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, mutilating young boys until after the age of 25. Well, and, Mary, and, and this author maintains there are adults who have transitioned who are much, much happier and who actually are trans people, right? But he's, right. But he was saying, but it has gone too far and really it has to be limited to people who are over 25 who are of the mature age and mind and life experience to make that kind of life-altering decision. But, Mary, they've been arguing that from the beginning of time about teenage uh, offenders in the the criminal world. So talk about that because you're a former prosecutor and you know, I mean, I know this, but I, I, I want you to tell our listeners about it. Well, you, they, the argument is that these especially dealing with young men, that the brain of the young male has not fully developed to understand consequences. Right. Therefore, they should not be charged, A, as adults, and their penalty should not be as severe because they do not have the brain function with which to understand the consequences of their actions. Okay. Therefore, they should not be charged as seriously. Okay. So, you know, if that's true— and they've been arguing that since I became a prosecutor. If that's true, then why are we allowing them to make the decision to do anything, right. well, to be emancipated from their parents, to, to transgender, an, to have an abortion, to have Illinois. an abortion? Why are we allowing those arguments that, that that's what they really want to yep. win the day? Yep. Because, yeah, they really want to rob a liquor store and get the proceeds. But right. then we say they don't have the... Brain cells right. functioning. So, well, and, and, and they really think that, you know, going into that Nike store and taking whatever shoes they want and running away with them is a great idea. Yeah, well. So, okay. Well, well it but, sure is now, Mary, because yeah. they're letting them walk out of the stores right. with their well, arms they, Let me ask you, there, there, was a, there was a video that went viral on mm-hmm. um, 
uh, Twitter over the weekend of a young black man who goes into an Apple store in mm-hmm. Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And just, you know how they have the display models yes. out and just takes every display model. Yep. Uh, throws stuff to the ground, takes every, he must have taken from this, from my, by my count, 20 to 25 phones mm-hmm. and other, and puts them in his pocket and walks right, right out. And someone, uh, people on Twitter were saying, you know, why would, why did all those men working at the store just stand there and look at them? I'm like, well, there's probably company policy. Yes. Yes. And, um, but here's the so, catch all, Mary. Yeah. Those, the, the, the Apple store owners know the serial numbers of those items yeah. and will shut them down via the computer in the inventory of what's taken. And I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> tried to get service from your phone company when somebody's in the store trying to activate a hot phone or a stolen phone. Right, right. It's, it's, it's a very long process that involves bringing the police into the store, and you won't get serviced unless there's a bunch of people there. Waiting on you because they'll focus. Well, I mean, on what that. do you, what do you like? And I, and I, mm-hmm. I guess I can kind of see, um, taking the other lawyer's point of view here, um, from a liability standpoint, mm-hmm. that they are, um, they're concerned that their employees could be harmed or killed trying to, you know, I mean, your life is not worth you a, know, Mary, a display I, floor cell phone, in my opinion. Like, you're absolutely I would right. tell my kids to stand down. You just yeah. don't get involved, call 911, and that is the extent of your, but I think at Lululemon, yeah. There was an, there was a manager. She was fired for calling nine one one. Oh well, I don't know about that. That but, is insane. But I really am more concerned that the store doesn't want to pay workers comp if their employee gets injured. I really I I've become pretty cynical about it, because what I was finding happening toward the end of my time in the office, um, it was the rare employee who came in willingly. Yeah, And, of course, they always write a store report, so right. you try to get that out of them. It's another, you know, subpo- another 99 subpoenas to corporate, and they just don't want to cooperate anymore. They're willing to take the loss because they pass it on to you and me. Yeah. That's who pays for all that right. theft. No, we all pay for it. So, okay, well, we're going to go to our first break, and when we come back, uh, we'll, we didn't even get to, well, maybe at the end of the show we can talk about our, the Super Bowl ads. But we're going to oh, be yes. joined by uh, official friend of the show, Catholic University professor Michael New, to talk about uh, being suppressed, his, uh, his academic um, studies being suppressed, uh, surprise, surprise, by the mainstream media. So you will not want to miss that conversation. Please don't go away. How long has it been since you have been to church? Busy schedule, work, or just lost interest? To be Catholic is not just merely attending Mass as just another weekend activity to be checked off the to-do list. Participation in the sacred liturgy gives you the opportunity to be intimately connected to Christ through the Holy Eucharist. You can also cleanse yourself of sin through the Sacrament of Reconciliation as a baptized Catholic. Come before the iconic monstrance to be in Christ's presence in the sacred silence of the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy. St. Stanislaus Koska Church is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. St. Stan's is just off the Kennedy, two blocks north of Division on Noble. Come back to Christ through the sacred liturgy and his gift of the sacraments at St. Stan's. You are listening to Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change. The cross is the reality of God's love for us, for you. As we ponder the cross this Lent, consider the fact 
that our blessed Lord Jesus became man to pay the price for our sins committed against the infinite. Since Jesus is God and man, every act of his has an infinite value. Therefore, Jesus could have chosen to emit a single sigh or prick his finger and shed just one drop of his precious blood. That would have been enough to save us. So why choose the cross? Well, that is how much he loves us. He chose to be nailed to the cross and to pour out every drop of his blood for you, holding nothing back. This is the astounding love of Jesus for you. I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. God love you. And welcome back. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change on AM750. Well, this week, Sage Publications, and we'll get an explanation of that uh, a little bit down the line here, announced it was retracting three studies that found that chemical abortions pose serious health risks to pregnant women. Um, The studies were cited. uh, You may have read this if you read the opinion of Judge Matthew Kaczmarek in his uh, April 2023 decision to suspend the FDA's approval of Mifepristone. That is a case the Supreme Court is going to be taking up on March 26th. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's really outrageous because the studies that I, I think, I've read them, uh, rather definitively show that these drugs are dangerous, particularly to women who are... Um, uh, uh, Minors, to, uh, girls whose developmental systems have not completed developing, uh, who are still not in, to mention the babies. Well, the baby yeah, <laughs> that goes without saying. Anyway, but um, but these studies have now been rejected, and um, so there's quite the quite the conversation happening among academics because of this. So to join us to discuss this, uh, our official friend of the show, and when we ever get a show mug, he's going to be the first one to get it. Uh, Professor Michael New from the Catholic University of America. Uh, Professor New is a political scientist and a statistician holding uh, advanced degrees in statistics and political theory from Stanford University. So way smarter than Loretta and I put together. Uh, Professor New, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. All right. Okay. So I, you know, Nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, the, the, the more correct our pro-life, uh, that science proves our pro-life position to be, the more the other side tries to undermine our, our work. Um, can you explain, first of all, what SAGE is? And then secondly, um, tell us a little bit about the controversies and the studies in question that are being suppressed now. Sure. What Sage is is uh, they are a company that publishes academic journals. Uh, they publish academic journals in a pretty wide range of fields. Uh, essentially, that uh, it just sometimes makes sense to have a, a company uh, kind of handle a lot of the editing and handle a lot of the distribution, and they can basically publish uh, academic journals uh, on a wide range of topics, including public health. Okay. And um, you know, as you saw. Uh, News came out last week that they are retracting three studies uh, which show that chemical abortion pills pose health risks. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I think this is just uh, reprehensible uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I think the rationale just doesn't really withstand serious scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, they claim the lead author uh, didn't declare conflict of interest, uh, but the lead author was a guy named James Studnicki, who is the vice president and director of data analytics at the Charlotte Lowe's Institute. 
which okay. is a pro-life group. His affiliation is really on the front page of the study. So ah. I don't know what they wanted James to do that he didn't otherwise do. And there's other authors also also affiliated with Lozier, also American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Elliott Institute, you know, when they co-authored uh, these pieces, their affiliations are on the article, again, on the third page. Right. There's so no, I don't no really attempt know what... to, to hide them or anything like that. Right. And uh, so that was one thing that didn't make a lot of sense. Secondly, they complained that somebody who reviewed one of the articles, or maybe more than one, uh, was affiliated with the Lozier Institute. But that wasn't, you know, our fault. The editor... Pixot, who reviews the, ad, the, so, the articles, right, you know, not, so, not the author. Right. So, so if they're unhappy, were, they only have themselves to blame. Right. So when we uh, refer to an article as being peer-reviewed, it's the editor of the journal who picks the peers, right, to review yep. the article, correct? Correct. That, uh, you know, they basically try to think of who would have some expertise in the subject, who could evaluate the quality of research in a fair and even-handed manner. And, uh, you know, again, the editor made that decision. Uh, it was double-blind. So, you know, the re- reviewer doesn't know who the author is. The author doesn't know who the reviewer is. And even if it was somebody with Lozier, you know, they're not going to accept an article just on one good review. I mean, usually right. when a journal agrees to publish something, there's a strong consensus among the reviewers. Yes, this is good work, high-quality research, presented well. It deserves to be published. So even if there was one reviewer that was somehow biased or compromised, which I really don't think was the case, that doesn't, you know, take away from the fact that other reviewers also thought it was good, high-quality research and also thought this article deserved to be published. Right. Michael, if they didn't like these articles, what would have been the better approach than to just retract them? Yeah, usually retractions happen when there's just, frankly, when someone really screws up. Um, I mean, usually when there's like falsification of data or just misrepresentation, articles aren't retracted because somebody complains or there's a disagreement. What I would have done is just let the person who raised objections, raised concerns, write a response. And I think journals should do more of that. I think back and forth between academics can sometimes be interesting and can advance knowledge, and the academic community, the public health community, can decide who has the more compelling arguments. So I think just instead of retracting these studies and not really giving strong rationale, uh, Sage Publishing should just let the individual who raised concerns write a response. And James Sidnicki and the team at Lozier could have responded back. And again, people could see the dialogue and decide on their own who makes a, a more compelling argument. Now, can the author of these three articles that have been retracted, can they publish them somewhere else? Well, I'm not sure what the plan is, but uh, right now I think there is going to be some litigation against Sage Publishing. Oh, uh, wow. We are playing a lawsuit, so uh, oh, really? we'll keep an eye on that. that Ooh, that's what I was you told heard by it the, here first. You know, the PR team at Lozier. So, um, but yeah, he also gets to publish elsewhere, and I think uh, he should try to do that. Um, you know, I think that uh, there are lots of venues for academic publishing, and I think that uh, you know we can find another strong competitive journal uh, to get these pieces published in. Uh, you know, again, one thing that I would sometimes suggest is that foreign journals are often a little more receptive to articles showing the health risks of abortion. Why? Because in many foreign countries, you know, the pro-life movement is kind of marginalized and less threatening. So they're like, whatever, publish your article, but it's not going to change anything here in Britain or France or Germany. Um, whereas the United States, you know, the pro-life movement does have some political power, and people view us as threatening, and that makes some editors reluctant to pass pieces, publish pieces, either showing the health risks of abortion or showing that pro-life laws have some positive impact. 
Yeah. So, well, I, well tell us, um, let's, um, let's talk about the three studies. Uh, can you walk us, uh, if you, uh, do you have enough knowledge? I imagine you do. Yeah, sure. each, yeah, let's walk through the three studies, what they found, and then let's talk about why you think they were targeted in the way that they were. Well, I think the studies are kind of similar. They use a similar data set and a good data set of Medicaid recipients. So, uh, you know, the states that have Medicaid programs, they do track women who are on Medicaid and track different kinds of outcomes. And uh, what the studies do is they look at women who get surgical abortions and compare them to women who have chemical abortions. And they compare uh, hospital visits uh, amongst these women, especially emergency room visits. And they found that women who obtained chemical abortions were more likely to have you know, multiple, multiple emergency room visits after the abortion the women who got surgical abortions. So they found that, again, if a woman has a chemical abortion, she's more likely to see or go to an emergency room multiple times than somebody who has a surgical abortion. So that's kind of what the thrust of a lot of these uh, studies uh, found. Right. And so this is um, probably not uh, coincidental that the fact that the Supreme Court's going to be hearing the case uh, about the FDA's approval of mifepristone and the removal of, more specifically, the removal of the restrictions around mifepristone, you know, limiting it to seven weeks and requiring in-person doctor visits, um, making certain that there was a visit afterwards that, so that the woman hadn't retained any fetal body parts, et cetera, et cetera. So the court's going to be hearing that particular, and as you mentioned, I think in your NRO article, Michael, you note that D Judge Kaczmarek had actually cited those, those three studies, correct, in his, in his opinion. Right. I mean, the timing of this, you know, there's a reason why these articles were retracted. And that is because, you know, regulations about chemical abortions, you know, there's litigation about that that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court in late March. And, yeah, Judge Kaczmarek, who, uh, you know, from Texas, uh, he actually wrote an opinion basically saying that the FDA approval of chemical abortion pills should not have happened. Yeah. Uh, and, he, I think the legal briefs and the arguments were strong. Um, when the FDA approved the chemical abortion pill in the year 2000, they fast-tracked it. Yeah. They used it for kind of a process that have only been used for life-saving drugs. Okay. And pregnancy generally is not a life-threatening condition. So right, exactly. There was very good arguments that the FDA should have never approved uh, RE46 in the year 2000 the way they did. Right. Uh, so the arguments I think were, were sound. And Kaczmarek actually did, you know, rule in favor of the pro-life plaintiffs and did, you know, issue a ruling saying he thought that the approval uh, should not have happened. And he did cite these studies as evidence that chemical abortion drugs do pose health risks. Right. Now, subsequent litigation, uh, litigation has gone on. Uh, right now, the question of the legality of chemical abortion drugs is not on the table, but litigation about some of the regulations are. Right. One thing that supporters of legal abortion are doing is they're trying to make it much easier to obtain chemical abortion pills. During the COVID pandemic, it was possible to obtain a chemical abortion pill without an in-person medical exam. You know, most, yes. uh, a lot of medicine kind of went to telemed. Uh, the Biden administration, their FDA, very unwisely continued this policy after the pandemic. Right. And I think that's obviously, you know, awful public health. Uh, I think a woman has a, you know, topic pregnancy, obtains chemical abortion, that could be fatal. If right. she's further along the gestation, she realizes has a chemical abortion, that could pose some serious health risks. Oh, sir, yeah, and again, absolutely. And simply, the FDA hasn't really been following protocol about, you know, evaluating the health of these drugs or evaluating outcomes, and lawyers from Alliance Defending Freedom called them out on it. So there's a chance that, uh, you know, 
we could get some better safeguards in place uh, that uh, we could, you know, end this policy of, you know, allowing these drugs to be obtained without in-person medical exam. And we also changed the policy where they could only be available to women kind of earlier in gestation. Okay. Uh, that's the thing the FDA has done uh, that we would argue wasn't done under proper protocol. So, again, these studies were cited. It wasn't, you know, necessarily dispositive. There were other reasons why Judge Kaczmarek and the Fifth Circuit ruled the way they did, but they were part of this litigation, and I think that's why, you know, it's only now the stage has moved to go ahead and retract these studies. Okay, now, Michael, in the arguments that will come and the briefs that will come before the Supreme Court over these chemical abortions, uh, will that prevent uh, lawyers in favor of removing them from uh, the marketplace, will that prevent lawyers from arguing these studies, the fact that the articles have been retracted? You know, I think that it will affect litigation, but I don't think that the effect will be dramatic. You know, I think that uh, there's still other procedural arguments that the lawyers can rely on. There also are other studies out there that do show that chemical abortion pills do have health risks. Uh, we have, like, of databases from like Scandinavian countries like Finland and Denmark, and we found that the complication rate with chemical abortion pills is four times higher than surgical abortions. So these aren't the only studies that find that these chemical abortion drugs pose health risks. There are other studies that the lawyers can use, and these studies can still be cited. You know, they can still make the argument, I think quite reasonably, that the decision to retract these studies was incorrect. It was political. Uh, the research does still stand. So I think these studies still can be used. I think, obviously, I'd rather live in a world where they weren't retracted, but I don't think it dooms the case. Uh, I think that uh, the case goes on, and there's good arguments both on the law and the policy uh, that, you know, chemical abortion drugs, uh, the policies are too permissive. So, again, I think that the case goes on, and I think we have a decent chance to win. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Professor New, can you stay with us on the other side of the break so we can ask you some additional questions about this? Sure, absolutely. Okay, terrific. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change on AM750. Don't go away. St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy, is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststanschurch.org. We are the students of St. Stan's La Costa Academy. Your children can join them for face-to-face -face classroom instruction. Visit ststandschicago.org to find out how. And you're listening to the Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy. St. Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool age three and four, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more, providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit ststanschicago.org. Ststanschicago.org. 
Welcome back. This is Loretta Fralick and Mary Fiorito, and we are talking with Dr. Michael New on Winds of Change. Michael, I want to ask you, what then is the point? If we can still go ahead and use the study, it doesn't challenge any of the information. What then is the point of forcing a retraction of three whole articles? I mean, I get the politicalness of it, but I mean, doesn't it make... The retractor looks stupid? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the people who retract the study, I think they do hope that the Supreme Court and, you know, other courts dealing with litigation over chemical abortion pills, you know, will take this as evidence uh, somehow that this research was substandard. That may be their hope. I don't know how judges will react. I would think there's a lot of evidence these days. I'd say quite a lot of evidence that academic journals are becoming more and more political yeah. and you know making decisions about what to publish uh, based on kind of politics rather than on high quality research. But I think they at least hope to impact the litigation. I don't think they'll be successful, but I think that's at least their their hope. And I just think that uh, you know academic liberals are kind of used to kind of owning academic publishing this sure. sense. You know, sure. for a long time, you know, conservatives, I wouldn't say we didn't bother to try, uh, but we didn't necessarily invest a lot of time, effort, and research, resources into getting studies published. Uh, that's changing now. You know, uh, we have, uh, you know, think tanks like the Lodge Institute. I think, according to Chuck Donovan, our one-time president, I think we have 29 uh, peer-reviewed studies that have been published by Lodger scholars since we started more than 10 years ago. So the other side it realizes that, you know, we are doing some high-quality research, and we are making some inroads, and we are discovering that, uh, you know, these uh, chemical abortion drugs do have health risks. And I think they just also kind of want to send a message to pro-life researchers out there. Look, you know, we are not going to be welcoming your research. You know, uh, you're going to have to spend a lot of time, you know, and a lot of effort to write an article that will ultimately be rejected or retracted. So I think they're trying to scare, you know, prospective researchers from entering this field. You know, your success or failure as an academic is largely a function of how much and how well you publish. And uh, right, no right. one wants to, you know, Tell the P- dean publish or, or tell parish, the supervisor. Right? Isn't that the old saying, publish or perish? Yeah, but there's a lot of truth to that. Right. And no junior faculty wants to tell his dean or his department chair, my study got retracted. So I think this is just, you know, frankly, intimidation. They're just trying to scare people away from doing research, especially research that shows that these chemical abortion pills have health risks. I just think that means that, you know, we need to be kind of savvy about where we publish, and we just you know can't be afraid. We can't be intimidated. You know, we have strong arguments. We have strong research. We just need to be persistent. Um, and I but think you know, that, uh, it, like Professor New and, and um, you and I have probably had just some offline conversations about this in the past. But I, to me, it's so telling that the other side cannot meet us on a level playing field. I mean, because we've got the science on our our side, we've got the human rights on our side, and any time we come up with a study, or a, even like, for example, I, I believe you and I have talked about this on a panel one time, um, the Turnaway study, you know, the one that abortion advocates always cite that the Turnaway study showed, so this was a study, uh, for those not familiar with it, it was a study, of, I think it was a thousand women, is that correct, Professor New? Over that traced a thousand women who wanted abortions, but for whatever reason couldn't get it. They couldn't get the money together. They couldn't get the cash together in time, or some other logistical de- delay prevented them. And they talked to these women one year after not being able to uh, obtain the abortion they wanted, and then five years after not ob- obtaining the abortion that they wanted. And interest. And everybody always cites the one-year metrics, right? Like they're you know, they're unhappy, they're in, you know, difficult relationships with their baby's father, all these other kind of things. They're, they're struggling to make ends meet, to provide for their infant. 
But when they interviewed the same women, and this is the, the piece of the study that's never cited or very rarely cited, and uh, five years out, 95% of those women say they were glad they didn't get the abortion that they had sought. They loved their child. They had bonded with their child. Their finances were better. Whatever the conflict with the baby's father was that had you know, led them to thinking about it in the first place, that had resolved itself. Um, so you know, these are the kind of things where, where even the studies that ultimately bear, bear what we have to say out, right, that when you're faced with a crisis pregnancy, the most... The most uh, you know, optimal thing for everyone is to eliminate the crisis, not the child, and that women are choosing abortions out of a crisis mode, not because they don't want that child, but because they can't handle that crisis. And so, um, you know, it just, it, but just to go back to my initial point, this not being able to, to meet us on a level playing field. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the other side has always tried to do certain things to rig the game in their favor. And, um, you know, one thing pro-lifers can do is we can vote. It's hard to exclude us from, you know, going to the ballot box and showing up on Election Day and voting. So, you know, we've been wise to organize politically. But as far as, like, you know, the media, uh, entertainment, and certainly academia, they're gatekeepers. And it's very hard, you know, for your average person to publish in the academic journal. It's hard for your average person to, uh, you know, get a job as an editorial commentator or a reporter uh, for a newspaper. Uh, so, and you know, obviously, producing a film with a pro-life message, getting the funding, the distribution is not going to be easy. I mean, we've had some success, but there's just gatekeepers there. And uh, by and large, you know, entertainment, you know, the media, academia, these are all institutions that are strongly pro-abortion. You know, and there are places that, you know, we've had to work very hard to get a foothold. So, yeah, I think that the other side, you know, does not really want a fair fight. They want to erect these gates to prevent pro-life messages from getting heard. And, uh, you know, I wish I could solve that problem overnight. Uh, <laughs> but when you have the truth on your side, you know, you just have to do your best. You know, thankfully, we have the Internet. We do have shows like this one. We do have Life News and Life Site News and Live Action right. News. And, uh, you know, we just have to kind of do our best to use the mouthpieces and the megaphones we do have to, you know, build a culture of life and uh, get good information out there. Well, you know, Michael, too, the, the, the other problem I am really concerned about is where is the woman's movement? It lets just, other than they want abortion for their own agenda, but you now are seriously presenting studies that show that this harms women. You know, at, at my... Query on that goes to, you know, October 7th in Israel. Where's the women's movement with all the women that were kidnapped and raped? Um, and, and where's the women's movement when supposedly they want abortion to be safe and rare? And we're now showing them through these studies it's not safe. So where does the women's movement line up with th this kind of study? I mean, it's tragic. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the women's movement that exposes abortion misconduct, by and large. It wasn't the women's movement who exposed Kermit Costnell. I mean, it was pro-life people who did that. Right. So right. Uh, it seems that I hate to say it, you know, I hate to use this phrase, but abortion is a sacrament. And essentially, uh, they are willing to compromise and ignore quite a lot uh, to keep abortion legal. And that includes covering up health risks. That includes covering up abortion facility misconduct. Um, it, it's tragic, uh, but it's also true. Yeah. Well, God bless you, Michael, for all your hard work on keeping this kind of information front and center for 
men and women to take into consideration. Right, and, and please do, uh, we'd love to have you back on the show again to talk about uh, the lawsuit as it progresses. Um, I, I really think that's something that needs to be exposed far and wide because this just hurts academic inquiry across the board. If you have to start with your conclusion when you're doing academic research, <laughs> then you come back so that just so you can get published, that doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve, the, and you know, when I just think about I mean, now, now that, that still, um, you know, you can still get these abortion pills over the, um, you know, through the mail and with telehealth appointments. And you just think of these young girls who are, you know, some of them not particularly good at um, counting. I mean, for lack of a better word, and, and may not. And, and with your first pregnancy, right, um, you, you don't know how far along you are, right? I mean, not necessarily. You could be 12 weeks. You could be 14 weeks and think you're six weeks pregnant because you've never... You don't understand how you count from your last menstrual period and all of that kind of thing because it's, you know, until someone explains it to you, you know, I, you know, you don't know. You learn by experience a lot of times with your first pregnancy. And so you could have women really endangering themselves, young women endangering uterine rupture. Professor, no, you mentioned ectopic pregnancies. There, there are a host of different dangers for women and girls. And yet we're, we're acting, you know, we're, again, as abortion advocates call it, you know, not, not, um, any different than taking a Tylenol, taking the abortion pill? Right, absolutely. Well, and I you hope know, again, the Supreme, their health yeah. are clear. Well, I wonder, so Professor New, and, and it, it may be, um, we may not have this information in front of us yet, but I would imagine some of the uh, amicus briefs being filed in the Mifepristone case that's being heard on March uh, 26th may very well cite some of these studies. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that uh, these studies still could be cited. I mean, the research hasn't gone away or vanished. You know, I think, and I think that you know the arguments that this retraction was political are good arguments, and you know, I think lawyers can still go ahead and use these studies. Yeah, well, I no, I hope they do because, as you point out, double-blind studies—they're peer-reviewed. Um, you know, it says the the other side. You know, I, I feel I. I <laughs> I rewatched what part I have no idea why over the weekend. A few good men, you know, the whole uh, Colonel Jessup. Um, do you remember interrogation on the stand? You can't handle the truth, um, and uh, I feel they can't. They cannot deal with the truth because the truth has and always has skewed towards the pro-life position. Um, what we know about, you know, ne- neonatal life and fetal pain and women's adverse reactions to abortion. It all points in our direction. Certainly, it points at at a minimum toward a greater restriction and caution when moving forward with an abortion. Um, but anyway, thank you, Professor. You have been on the forefront uh, doing this uh, this kind of research. And, and again, you've got your Ph.D. from Stanford. You could do anything you wanted, but you have chosen to give God, give God and the unborn your gifts. And um, we're very, very grateful in the movement for all your good work. No, thanks for the well, keep us posted then, best. okay? And we're going to go to our break, but uh, I hope to have you back again on the show uh, so you can let us know how the case progresses. Sure, happy okay, Sometimes terrific. it's tough to hear winds of change over the air. What with tall buildings, power lines, and other static. Now you can hear winds of change anywhere, anytime, or on any device. When Winds of Change is on the air, live, Monday through Friday, noon to one, go to Church. Scroll down to the Winds of Change tile and click on the Listen Live button. For Winds of Change podcasts, click on Listen to Episodes or visit the Winds of Change Facebook page. You are listening to Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska 
The Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststanschurch.org. And welcome back. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here with us today. So we have some breaking news uh, for the second week in a row. I get to break breaking news. So some of you may have heard uh, as you were watching the Super Bowl that there was a shooting at Lakewood Church, which is sometimes also known as Joel Osteen's church. It is one of the largest mega churches in the United States. Uh, this was during their Spanish uh, services. They have a Spanish-speaking service at, I think, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And what was described to us as the time as a woman came in wearing a trench coat with a long, I guess, a long rifle. Uh, yes. You know more about firearms than I do, Loretta. A long rifle. Um, and with a five-year-old child uh, in the custody of this person, um, obviously being used as a, a human shield, this mm -hmm. five-year-old child. Yep. And uh, the Lakewood, like many churches, employs um, off-duty police officers and an off-duty police officer. Uh, two of them actually um, uh, neutralized this, the assailant. Um, and it is just now breaking now that um, at, that assailant was not a biological woman. It was a man. And you know what? The, I thought, like, this is like the story of Solomon in the scripture, right? I thought, what mother brings their child and puts them in front of them? Knowing that that child was shot, I mean, is in very critical condition and very well may not survive the poor soul. Um, I thought, who that? Like, I just remember instantly thinking, that's either a really deranged person or something else is going on here. And then I had seen some things this morning on Twitter indicating that um, that there was going to be additional breaking news about the Joel Osteen shooting, but it apparently was someone who was trans. So. Um, it, it is, this is not, you know, the first, second, third, or fourth uh, shooting, unfortunately. The uh, Colorado Springs um, shooter was a non-identified as a non-binary person. The Nashville school shooter was trans. The Aberdeen shooter was trans. The Denver school shooter was trans. The Iowa school shooter that just happened a couple weeks ago, also trans. And now the Lake sh uh, Lakewood uh, shooter is trans. So there is, um, you know, I remember at the time with the Nashville shooter, which was a biological woman identifying as a man, you know, you put a lot of testosterone in a human body that isn't meant to be processing that much testosterone, and you're going to get very, very, very aggressive kind of behaviors. So biologically, that doesn't, um, if it is the female to male trans person we're talking about, that doesn't surprise me at all. It seems this was the opposite, but that doesn't mean this person wasn't using hormones. Um, but it's, you know, what what a um, unbelievable development. And, yes. and I think now, again, not an isolated incident. We're talking about six shootings in a row now that involved either a trans, a self-identified trans or non-binary person. Did they give a reason for her um, shooting... Did they give a reason for Well, uh, additionally, there was apparently a sign on the NAR-15 this person was holding that said Free Palestine. And that also, uh, and of course, okay. Lakewood would be very, very pro-Israel, as many evangelical churches are. So, um, also interesting. 
Okay. I haven't verified that, but that's my understanding. Okay. What about Palestine in Gaza is not free? I get that there are borders yeah. and there are the concept of a wall and having to come, you know, clear, you know, come through the open door. You, everybody just can't flood into Israel because yeah. look at what happens when they do flood into Israel. They have a peace that was ongoing on October 7th. They have citizens that were free that were attacked in their own nation on right. October 7th. Right. So if we're going to free Palestine, Palestine was free. Yeah. I, I, that to well, me, this is Hamas, right? Yeah. This is not—and the people of Palestine are, are you know, um, insofar as they supported Hamas and elected them, may share part of the responsibility yes. here. But this is Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Absolutely. It is. And they use—again, you know, the, again, it's really interesting that man yesterday who went into Lakewood Church used a child as a human shield. That is the exact same thing that Hamas does in Gaza. They use children— and women hospitals, as human schools. And hospitals and schools, but particularly children yes. and women are used as human shields because that's that's what a cowardly man does yes. using a child as a shield. Yes. I, I I cannot think as I I'm, I don't want to get lose my cool here. I, I, I just as a mom, anything more despicable than using a child as a shield, and for a man to do it, that is the that is the lowest of the low. What man does that to? I, I hope it was not. The child was not biologically related. Um, either way, it doesn't matter. To use a child as a shield, that's just absolutely beyond the pale. Well, I also think, Mary, that when someone is attacking in places like Lakewood Church, it's the old spiritual battle between good and evil. Yeah. We warn not against, you know. And I have to say I was very um, edified by the reaction of many of the people at Israel uh, at um, Lakewood, Lakewood, rather, who stopped and just started. Apparently, they were just praising Jesus and yes. you know calling on the name of Jesus. And yes, they, and I think that might have. Um, oh, in fact, I'm, I'm certain it was that stemmed how bad it could have been. And everyone, the police chief, the um, the SWAT, uh, I guess the SWAT chief. I don't know. You know these mm -hmm. terms better than me. Said this. They, they every one of them said this could have been so much worse. Mm -hmm. Like that, that person had enough ammunition. And there were, well, you can hear on the tape if you've heard it. Sure. There were a lot of shots fired. And yes. that only um, one person was hit by the shooter. The right. child, the child and the um, uh, assailant were killed by off-duty police officers and quite quickly, in fact. Um, so it's, it, it could have been so much worse. And I certainly understand the motivation of any parents with little kids. And there were a lot of them who were getting mm -hmm. their kids out of there. That is sure. You, of course, you, you know, but for those who said, I, there was one woman, she was interviewed, she said, you know, if this is my last day on earth, I'm going to go down praising Jesus. Amen. And I thought, wow, that that takes courage. And, you know, there's been a lot of commentary online, too, you know, about how Joel Osteen reacted and his, you know, um, that he seemed kind of glib. And, you know, but, you know, you don't, I, I thought he was trying to maintain composure as a leader in a time of tremendous stress. He was there. He was present. He said, we don't, we pray for the shooter. We pray for everybody involved. We thank police for yes. their quick response yes. and the first responders. I mean, and again, he said, this could have been so much worse. Um, so, you know. Well, the day, the, the day of scripture being fulfilled, like Ephesians says, we war not against flesh and blood, 
but principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. And we as America, we need to wake up. Yeah, Our borders have been porous. You know, I, I can't figure out how Chinese single men are coming through oh. the Mexican border. Well, you know how? Well, I, I just saw <laughs> 60 Minutes did an entire segment on it. On how Chinese yes, men correct. are? How? Specifically. So there is a hole in uh, the border wall in San Diego. Okay. And they stood there and they filmed for two days. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Mexican drug cartels, they pull up and off the buses come 40 or 50 Chinese nationals. They walk right through the hole. And carrying, like some of them, like with roller suitcases, walk right through. They witnessed hundreds of Chi- of almost completely Chinese. And they asked, how, how did you find out that there's this hole in this wall here? They said, oh, it's on TikTok. You pay, you come over here, and the traffickers bring you here, and then you just go through the hole in the wall in San Diego and come through. Just look it up. It was just, it was on 60 I Minutes watch, 10 days ago. If, I if not will less. watch that. But, it's, uh, uh, but almost all... Completely, they were expecting to see mostly Venezuelans or maybe um, Chileans, but almost com- exclusively Chinese. And why are they coming through Mexico? Because that's just because they, they, they read in. it on TikTok yeah, and well, they, they get but in. That's how you can get in. You can get in without a visa. You can just walk up, and they're leaving but, visas behind. You know, yes. again, but you do know passport. if you and I went to Mexico, you know, with a husband or spouse that was uh, working in Mexico. We'd have to apply six months to get a work visa to hold yep. down a job in Mexico. Yep. Why is that not okay? Or yeah. why is that okay? And it's not okay to set up guidelines for our nation. Yeah. No, it's, it's well, there was a kind of funny meme going around uh, Facebook and Twitter yesterday. <laughs> uh, let me read it to you so I don't, I don't misquote the, yes. the meme. I don't want to misquote the meme. Um, <laughs> how dare the NFL host a Super Bowl in a gated stadium behind a guarded fence to keep random fans out who haven't paid to enter. Oh, I love it. I great? love it. So, no, it's this. And, and again, you know, here we are in a sanctuary city where now we have, I think, 37,000 migrants who entered here illegally, mostly from Venezuela. There was, I think there's a smattering, though, from some other countries. And, um, and you know, the, the tensions with other communities in Chicago are... I, I and we're not even at summer yet. We're not even at summer. Thank God. I think the winters kept some of that muted. But um, but now that they, um, you know, a local suburb has been given two million dollars. I to, heard that. So they're in a hotel right now, and yeah. then they're going to be um, uh, moved to a, a a local school. So yeah, it's just it, it's um, and I you know it's interesting. I was at my jewel. I can't go to the jewel now without there's. Migrants, usually men, yep. and they often have little kids with yep. them. And they oh, have I'm the abs- sign telling us they're Venezuelan. Right, exactly. And they're all the same signs. It's all on cardboard. It's yep. like someone must be printing these out. Yes. And then, um, but they always have these children with them. And I am quite certain though those are not their children. Mm-hmm. Those children are being sold out or rented out or what have you to make them look. In fact, I was at uh, the corner of Division in Harlem in Oak Park. And there's a man, probably 22, 23, and he's got a stroller with him. And there's a blanket over the stroller, so you can't see. But the big cardboard sign, I'm a Venezuelan. Please give me help for me and my child. I thought that's not, A, I don't even know that there's anybody in that stroller. And B, it's not your child. If there is, it's not your child. Um, But I know that in Wilmette, this has become a problem, that uh, in Evanston, which is a sanctuary community, uh, the migrants who are staying in, in shelters there 
are just hopping on the L and going up to the Wilmette Jewel uh-uh. with kids in tow. Sure. And people have been, thank God, people are calling DCFS for well-being checks, saying those are not their children. It is 32 degrees. Those kids are not well-dressed. And they're being used all day long to to get money from sympathetic people. But it, it's And our veterans awful. who went to war for us, to fight for us so that we could be free. Yep. They aren't getting their benefits. They're getting denied benefits. And they are... Homeless. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I, again, I, I know people in my own community um, who are um, really seniors who are, well, are, are people on the cusp of being seniors who do not have that platinum level Medicare that all the migrants are being given. And in fact, I, um, woman I know who is uh, an immigrant here who works as a cleaning lady was injured in a fall at the CTA, oh. broke her nose, broke her oh arm. Oh, my. Uh, was was taken by ambulance to Northwestern, mm-hmm. um, and you know she she works for cash as a cleaning lady on a daily mm-hmm. basis. She has no health insurance, and she was told, um, in order for us even to see you back here just to follow up, we're going to need five hundred dollars. But then they just sent her to Cook County, and she had you know to wait for hours sure. and hours and hours. And then while she was there, the person who was you know there with her was like you know, and then you see these Venezuelan migrants who are there because they have that platinum level Medicare. They don't even have to pay a copay, mm. and they can go to any of the best hospitals. And you have people. I mean, no one begrudges uh, a person who is especially a child no. medical care. But something's upside down when we're saying to people, okay, you snuck in here. Um, you know, there, you knew that you have no job. You have no one to sponsor you. You have no so, – but you came here and now you're demanding from us the resources that the members of our own community cannot access. I don't blame people from being angry. Either it's a I. very na- natural reaction. Talk to someone who came to this country – who went through the door and had to jump through all of oh. the hoops and became citizens. My parents waited in Canada for two years, and my dad had to prove he had a job and he had a sponsor. And when they finally were able to come in, when they were finally um, uh, you know, given their first permits, they came here, they were here on a Saturday, and my mom and dad were both at work on Monday. Yep. But, but, I mean, there was like no, you know, there was no taking from anybody. There was no. They didn't get $7,000 a month uh, just uh, in for rent, showing yes, up? Yes, for their rent. And and they were not given debit cards to go and buy their food with. Everything was on them from day one. And, um, you know, and their sponsor helped them for the first month until they got their first paychecks. They paid their sponsor back. And then from then they were on their own. And it just, you know, and they have five children, you know, four of whom had graduate have graduate degrees, all of whom went to college and graduated. So it just, it's a different world. But, they came um, too early, Mary. Yeah, exactly. They're, uh, anyway, I, I wonder what they would have said about all of this. Well, <laughs> listeners, it's been a no, joy to be with you. And uh, we hope and pray that you have a very blessed and wonderful week. Remember, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. There is no dispensation for Valentine's Day. Do not even think about asking. Just read Mary's blog. Yeah, read on Facebook. (laughs) I've laid it all out for you. But uh, we pray that the start to your Lent will be uh, very beautiful and fruitful. And we look forward to being back with you next week. God bless you. What's there to say when the world makes no sense? Do we search deeper truths or sit on the fence? Can you see? Can you see? Meaningless thought The shell appears strong But the inside is right It's time to be stirred The time is now The winds have changed
changed. Really.